Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here, as always, with Sarah Powers. How are you, Sarah? I'm good. Happy Real New Year. Happy Real New Year to you. I'm really excited because today is one of our More Than Mom episodes where we dive in on something not specifically parenting-related, and this topic perfectly dovetails with the beginning of a new year. We are talking about habits. We are. Habits we've got that are good and maybe some not so good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, how to change them. We are recording this on the first Monday of the new year, which is like the Mondayest. I said to my kids, this is like the Mondayest Monday of the decade. Yes. It's like the first Monday of a new year, first semester, first like new semester, new decade. Just it's the Mondayest Monday. And I know that you you've got an essay going out or it would have by the time this goes live, it would have gone out about a week ago um, about kind of rolling into that first Monday. But even as somebody who's not as, I guess, what's the to-do list oriented right. as you are, I still feel like a lot of pressure to have things kind of ready to go on that first Monday. It's like, yeah. if, if you feel like if you don't hit the ground running, you're behind the eight ball already. Well, that, and I think a lot of us have this internal desire and energy. So it might not even be outside pressure. It might not be like this negative pressure. It might just be that you are excited for the new year and excited to have all this new year energy but you still have Christmas to put away. That's right. kind of like the tension that I think is there for a lot of us. So I think it can be both. We can be excited about the new year and take our time putting Christmas away. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and this habits talk is so, you know, one of the things we do know about habits is that changes uh, to your environment, and we'll dig into this, uh, but changes to context. The context of your life are the the kind of the prime time to either form new habits or shake up the ones you've got. So this is a good time to be talking about it. It is. And I I just want to remind everybody that if you're in the trenches of new motherhood and habits talk sounds like something you want to roll your eyes at, I have been there and I have been in stages where the idea of self-improvement meant like maybe putting on a clean shirt. Um, But I think these kinds of conversations can apply no matter where you are in motherhood. You and I are, are talking about this from the vantage point of we do have a little bit more breathing room to think about you know, our personal habits and our self-care and our careers. But if you're not, I, I still think it's uh, an interesting thing to think about this time of year. It is. I actually am reading, and we're going to talk a little bit about the books that we're both reading, two different books on um, habits. But the one that, I was, that I'm reading is called Good Habits, Bad Habits by Wendy Wood. And she mentions that having small children is actually one, I don't even know if she says small children, but I think that's one of the factors that make you, the word that she uses is flexible, more flexible mm-hmm. to habits because everything is an upheaval all the time. And that can actually be a good thing because while it might be harder to establish good habits, it also means that you're not as likely to get kind of stuck in a rut with worse habits. Yes, I agree Because everything's changing all the time. Yeah. So yeah, it can be seen as an opportunity, not just an obstacle. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we will get into it. All right. Fun announcement, everyone. We are so excited to launch the Mom Hour Podcast Club. Yay! I'm so excited. Thank you for your patience, everyone. Those of you who have been waiting for this, we've heard from so many of you that you love sharing the Mom Hour with your friends. And we've heard from others that listening to the Mom Hour feels like a conversation with friends you wish you had in real life. 
So with the Podcast Club, we kind of wanted to help you take that sense of community out into the real world. It'll work a little bit like a book club where you'll listen to the same episodes as some of your friends or other moms in your community, and then you'll plan a time to get together and discuss the themes in the episode. Like kind of like a low key mom's night in and we're going to help you plan it all. So you look like the most amazing host. Yeah. So when you purchase the club kit, you'll get a download that includes everything you'll need to connect with other moms who might be interested. It'll show you how to send invitations, prepare for the club and host your group. And then we'll give you discussion questions, a special message the group can listen to just from us. And then some fun little tips for making the evening special. The Mom Hour Podcast Club download kit is available now at themomhour.com slash club. We can't wait to hear about your real-life gathering, so keep us posted. Again, to find out more about the Podcast Club and download your kit, head to themomhour.com slash club. Okay, so who out there listening has the Jane app on their phone? And are any of you actually browsing right now? Right this second while <laughs> right. you're listening to us. You're like browsing, I am Jane. while I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I have to admit it is one of my little pleasures shopping Jane.com or the Jane app. So if you're not familiar... It's a daily deals marketplace that brings together clothing, kids stuff, home decor, and accessories at ridiculously good prices. And many of the sellers on there are actually mom-owned small businesses, which of course we love. I feel like Jane is keeping me young. The clothes and accessories are on trend and really affordable, so I can experiment a little with something without breaking the bank. In fact, I just picked up a couple pairs of jeggings on there in multiple colors, and I love that they're really comfy and they look kind of high-end, but they were cheap. Cheap, cheap, cheap. I also love that the deals come back again and again. So I can click that little heart on a shirt that I love, and then I'll get an email when it's on sale again so I can buy it in two more colors, which I have totally done. If you are into stuff like monograms and personalizations or graphic tees with cute sayings, this is going to be your new heaven. We are part of Jane's affiliate program, which means if you shop through our link, you'll be helping support the podcast at no additional cost to you. And we only joined that program after we were both fully converted Jane customers. So we truly love it. Head to themomhour.com slash Jane to start shopping on your phone or your browser. Again, it's themomhour.com slash Jane. Okay, so Sarah, let's do something we don't do on this show very often. And it might be amazing to you that I'm the one suggesting this. <laughs> <laughs> because it's usually not quite as much my jam. I think the science behind habits is fascinating. And I know that you are reading um, Atomic Habits. I am. By James Clear. Is that the name of the author? That is. Yes, James Clear. Yes. And I went to the bookstore to get that book, but they didn't have it in. So I got um, Good Habits, Bad Habits. And I have a feeling that they are very much based in the same. The one that I'm reading is very research heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a little maybe a little more ponderous um, than the James Clear one, which I thought I heard was really kind of very practical. It and, is. Yeah. But I think that the science is so interesting and what they've learned about science and one of the, the science of habit forming. And one of the things that... Um, I've read a few different places this year, but this book I'm reading confirmed is that willpower like has so little to do with it. And I think that this time of year we get into this, like the messages that we hear are all based off like if you just want it enough or if you just are motivated enough or you're just um, inspired or you set an intention that your willpower can actually create, you know, force you to create habits. Um, But the book that I'm reading, she really said, you know, motivation and decisiveness are really important when it's like a one-time thing. Like, I got to make this doctor's appointment. Mm-hmm. I got to finish this project. But if you want to do something that requires sustained effort over time, you actually want the willpower and intention to go away. Yes. Like, you want your body and your mind to just do it for you. And that, to me, it's like, it it makes it so much easier and simpler in a way, um, but really flies in the face of so much of what we internalize about exercise and diet and budgeting yeah. and that rhetoric, it's just so, it could be really heavy this time of year. No, totally. Um, so Atomic Habits by James Clear, which I am reading, 
has much of the same. He doesn't spend a ton of time on the behavioral science, although it's clear he is well-read in it and he'll reference things. Um, But yeah, a habit by definition is something that you are not thinking about consciously. And so he talks a lot about using what we know about habits uh, because there are, you know, he says he doesn't even really call them good habits or bad habits, but habits that are serving you or habits that are not serving you. Mm. Um, But kind of tricking ourselves to using what we know about habits to set up our environment so that those things can become automatic, which I agree. I think that is really interesting. Yeah. And and one point that the um, good habits, bad habits book, which is kind of funny that that's that's like a differentiating point between the two um, is that she talks about like, you know, the more you think about something, the less likely you are to have success at it. So Um, if all you think about is the fact that you're not going to eat this or the fact that you have to have willpower to exercise or whatever, those can actually get in your way. Yeah. Um, And the more forgetful you get about it, the better. Yeah. No, I love it. One of the early parts of the book that I was like a big aha for me, and it's perfect for the new year, um, is he talked about habits as they relate to goals versus systems. So goals are something that are great. We set them in our business. A lot of us set them at the new year. And there's nothing wrong with goal setting. And he, you know, he doesn't say anything bad about goal setting. But um, he talked about the distinction between goals and systems. So the goal is the thing you want to do. And he made the point that all teams, all sports teams have the same goal to win the game, right? Like that's everyone's Mm. goal is to win. Um, They don't all achieve that goal. And so the some of the psychology about not achieving your goal or falling short can really um, like uh, really have a negative effect on the habits that you're doing to get there. So you, if you're subject to the kind of highs and lows of meeting a goal or not, um, it can be hard. Whereas if you focus on the systems, you end up often achieving that same goal, but instead you've put the systems in place where the habits are consistent. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's just totally. kind of like a summary. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. And again, it's not either or. It's not that setting goals is bad, but as someone who does like systems, and I think a lot about systems, but I'm not always great about actually implementing. So um, that was a really good reminder to me that there's a distinction between the two. And the one that's probably going to support better habits is thinking more about systems. And while this sounds super businessy or like sportsy, I actually think the systems we have in our home and the habits we create with our kids, um, it all applies. It's all it's all part of the same stuff. Yeah, I one thing that really popped out at me is the fact that this time of year, there's a, a lot of temptation or pressure to go really public about the things you plan or tend mm. to do. And so I was thinking about that in the context of this yoga challenge I did last year, 60 you know, days of yoga, well, 60 yoga classes in 59 days, let's just be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that's really not habit forming. That is a one time, that's kind of like the thing I said I'm going to do this thing. I'm motivated to do it. This is like a one and done. Like yeah. this is a pro it's a project. Right. right. But at the end of that, and I was very happy that I completed it last year. I think there were tons of benefits at the very end of that project. Doing yoga every single day had not become a habit right. because I was still thinking about it all the time. So right. like that's still a great thing to do. And projects are awesome. And you're doing your 40 days till 40. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you could call that like a project. Yeah. yeah. But you're not going to create a habit now that you're going to do that every day for the rest of your life. And maybe you're not trying to. That maybe right. there's a place for something that's more short term, a whole, you know, a whole thirty or yeah. whatever it is, a reset or a, a reset, yeah, and something that you truly want to become um, a habit. I just think that those are two different things that we sometimes conflate together, and they're not the same. I agree. I think it's kind of a vocabulary thing. If we remember that habits are the things you do without thinking, 
then something like your yoga challenge would not even make sense. That is right. not a habit. I have to think about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you are thinking about it a lot, in fact. And you are doing it in a way to be more intentional and to like, you know, it's a, it's a big thing, as you said, whereas habits are the things we do without thinking and understanding that then then it becomes how can I use use the science of habits and use the systems in my home or in my work to I, I keep wanting to say the phrase trick myself. And that's not mm-hmm. that's not what I mean, but so, to make it so easy to do the the habits that serve me that I don't have. Ultimately, I will not have to think about them. And James right. Clear also talks about you know, repetition and how long it takes for something like that to truly become automatic. But at least we can give ourselves the the leg up on making sure that the systems are in place. Um, one of the examples that I thought was so interesting um, from the Good Habits, Bad Habits book was the author talks about um, Barack Obama when he was in office only wearing blue and gray suits and they were like identical. I think okay. he had, there was kind of a joke about that. Like one day he wore khakis and everyone freaked out. Um <laughs> But it was because he just decided, I already have so many other things I'm thinking about that I can't think about that. Yeah. Like, dressing myself has to become habitual. It can't be like every day I get up and there's a choice to be made or a fashion objective, yeah. right? And that was like one way he kind of simplified his environment to make the habit make itself, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, you know an extreme example. But sometimes I think when you're really overwhelmed, you can remove choices that don't need to be there. And those, that's something painless. Like who cares? Right. Right. It's not, it's not the same as like forcing yourself to, I don't know, skip dessert or whatever. Um, Yeah. There was no, there was no like real emotional loss for him probably. He didn't probably love uh, deciding what to wear every day. Maybe (laughs) he did. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Um, Another thing that, that um, was talked about in this book is the fact that like we all kind of are subject to certain cyclical, um, opportunities. Mm -hmm. Like she made the point that people change jobs about every four years, people move about every 11 years. And those are some of the best times to shake up things and create new habits or just change the ones you have. I also found that being pregnant and having new babies were were a great time. Like when you have a new baby and it's chaotic, no, you're probably not. Well, the funny thing is you are establishing habits. You're Mm -hmm. probably just not thinking about them really clearly. Right. And they may not be the ones that like that you want fill your cup and serve you. (laughs) Their habits are on like when you wash the pump parts and stuff. Right, exactly. Exactly. But I think the point is that when there's a time of big change like that, your environment is shifting everything, the context, yeah. everything is changing. And so that's when you're the most flexible or plastic. And mm-hmm. that's when you can really, if you're able, if you're, if you have the wherewithal of the time or the ability to sit and think about it, those are good times to kind of jump on those things. Yes. I love that. Um, a couple of things that jumped out from my book um, have to do with when you're introducing a new habit, um, using those in, using your existing habits or your environment um, to kind of support the process. So a couple of different things he talks about is one is called he calls habit stacking. Um, and he he's an advocate for being very uh, specific about when and where you'll do your new habit, which, as we know from goal setting, like, when you write it down, when you tell somebody else, and when you're specific about the time and place, it just, it does. It holds you accountable. I know this. Why we don't all do this, I don't know. But rather than saying, I'm going to floss every day, for example, I have made that resolution in the past. Um, you can say, after, you know, after I, whatever you would do, after I eat breakfast, I will floss and brush my teeth. And you tie it to something that happens every day anyway. Um, the example I always use for this is that my dad would put his vitamin pack on top of his empty glass of wine so that when he went, because <laughs> he knew he wasn't going to not drink the wine, he wasn't going to not have his nightly glass of red wine. So pairing 
the existing habit with the thing you want to do, whether or not they're related kind of doesn't matter, but it's, it's anchoring it to a very specific, doesn't have to be the same time of day, even if it's tied to the same activity. So for everybody that would look like something different, but you know, if you wanted to start a gratitude journal, rather than saying, I'm going to write my gratitudes every day, you could say, after I get home from preschool drop off every day, I'm going to write down, you know, so like tying it to something really specific that happens every day. And then the other one he uses, um, and Gretchen Rubin, I think this is what she calls the strategy of pairing, although I could be mixing up the two because they're both about pairing. But the other one he uses is to um, like the mind wants the most rewarding, attractive thing. Right. And he talks about Mm -hmm. like um, the dope. He talks a little bit about dopamine and Interestingly, we get a dopamine rush usually in anticipation of the thing, not necessarily from the thing itself, which remember you and I talked about that when we talked about nightly drinking like a year ago, um, how it's like how lovely that sounds to sit down with a glass of wine. And then when the glass of wine is almost irrelevant, it is. (laughs) So anyway, he talks a little bit about that and he talks about these super rushes that we do get in our pleasure centers. And so if there is something that you really do get like a big dopamine rush out of. And he's talking about like pleasure seeking stuff, like checking Instagram, watching reality TV, like you might call them like guilty pleasures or whatever that you can pair. um, You can pair good habits with those things rather than deprive yourself of those things. So he uses the example of like only watching your favorite trashy TV show on the treadmill or whatever. And so it's, it's everyone has to kind of come up with these strategies for themselves, but there's a lot of interesting behavioral science and a lot of it has to do with the environment that we're already in and the habits that we already have. And then just kind of layering on top of that. One thing I thought was so interesting about, um, about just the, the research behind this is really <laughs> how much less sophisticated our brains are than we'd like to think. And, yeah. and they're both, they're both incredibly sophisticated and incredibly irrational and predictably there's even a book called Predictably Irrational, I believe, which okay. I haven't read, but I think it's about the the reason we make choices. Um, and one of the things that popped out at me about in the book I was reading was just about things like if you have a bowl of popcorn that's closer to you, you're more likely to eat more of the popcorn yeah. than if it's further away. I mean, it sounds <laughs> like you would think that we have more yeah. control or more uh, choice in the matter, but most of us are kind of on autopilot. Yeah. We're not using all of our conscious senses all day long, or at least we're not using our senses consciously. They're just there kind of operating in the background. And um, a lot of this is evolutionary. Like the more your brain can kind of offline offload Mm -hmm. the the work of thinking, the more say you had to like hunt down your food every day that you'd be able to focus on that. And so it's got a great, there's a good reason for it. Um, But like you were saying, harnessing it for in a way that serves you is different from just going along with the fact that it's yeah. going to happen anyway. Yes. Like the fact that your brain is going to do what it's going to do anyway. Um, you you can be intentional about getting in front of it, even <laughs> if you can't always be intentional about making right. the choice you'd like to make in that moment, every single moment. It's like we have to be smarter than our brains. Like we yes. have to, yeah, than our lizard yeah. brains. No, that's, yeah. that's so true. Um, maybe before we go to break, um, I know it, it's popular in a lot of books like this to figure out like how many days you have to do something or how <laughs> often you have to do something for it to become a habit. I think, yeah. I mean, what we're realizing is like, you can never really take your eye off the ball, right? Like right. We're, we're, we're looking for that automation um, for this behavioral change. But one thing I thought was interesting, he did share some science that talked about it um, being all about the repetition and the frequency as opposed to the number of times. Mm. So if you're looking to do a new habit, Um, I'm like, I'm a big fan of things that happen like in a rhythm, like maybe weekly or monthly or quarterly. 
Um, in terms of habits, I think he would probably argue that the highest frequency that you can sustain, um, in other words, like if you can, I am doing this 40 days to 40 and I am going to walk every day. It's just walking. I'm not, it's, this is not like really an exercise thing for me. It's, it's just more of a fun challenge, but it is, it does take a little bit of the thinking out when you can do something literally every day, seven days yeah. a week. You don't think about, I get a cheat day or I'm going to take this day off or I'm traveling this like. So frequency is key and repetition is key in the habit building stages. But the other thing that I think probably the biggest takeaway, I'm about halfway, a little more than halfway through the book for me so far, is when they studied what what creates that automation of a habit, they, they distinguish between motion and action. And motion, he defines as like, you know, it's the planning and the thinking. If you're doing a meal planning habit, it would be the researching the recipes and the printing them out and the deciding what you're going to have. But the cooking the dinner every night is the habit. Nothing else solidifies the habit other right. than the action. And I realized I am so guilty of this. You know that about me. Like I can plan and think and make lists and ruminate all day and convince myself that I'm at least maybe I'm not making quite as much progress, but I'm moving the needle. And I think this science in terms of habit forming would argue that I'm really not moving the needle at all. Now, if I need to do that in order to get going, then that's fine. But it it doesn't count in terms of it doesn't count as a rep, a repetition yeah. of the habit until you do it. And I that's like that's an argument for like get over yourself and do it. You know, if you're right. if you're feeling like, you know, a little unsure or unsure if you're ready, um it does not it doesn't count toward habit formation until you're doing it. It doesn't if you're if you're just in that motion stage and not an action. Well, that and it, it also makes an argument for starting with the the least possible version of that thing. Mm -hmm. So you'd almost be better off going in the kitchen every day and making grilled cheese sandwiches yes. for three weeks yes. until you're in the habit of going in the kitchen every day and then add on, you know yes. what I mean? Instead of doing all the planning ahead of time. Now I'm now I'm really getting nerdy, but I want to tell you the study because when you said <laughs> that, I just remembered the study example he used and it's quick. It was a photography course and the professor divided the class in half and told them that one half would be graded on quantity of the number of photographs they turned in over the course of the semester. So like if you turned in 100, you got an A, 90, you got a B. And the other half were graded on quality. You only had to turn in one photo, um, but it would be graded, you know, it would be graded just that one photo um, on its composition and quality and all that. And by far the best photos the, themselves, the best quality photos came from the, the quantity side. Because mm. they were in the habit. They just practiced more. They did more. Yeah. They iterated. They they were in the habit. And so even though the others had a whole semester to do a one perfect photo, um, the, the guys who did 100 produced the better work. Does that make sense? I thought that yeah, was really totally. interesting. Yeah, totally. That is interesting. And I think it, I think it does have, it, it gives us the permission, I guess, to start small and crappy and just do it. Yes. Whatever it is, whether it's, you know, making dinner at home. If that's the goal, if the habit is, the habit doesn't have to be making gourmet meals that are also healthy at home yeah. every day. That's like too much. You're stacking too much together at once. Start with like the simplest, most pared down thing that you can consistently do. And then once you're, once you have, like we've talked about this before, once you have, um, what's not, not capability, but you know, the word like that means that you're, you can do something. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, competence. Competence. Thank you. <laughs> once you've got competency, then you can become more and more and more competent yeah. and then you can experiment and, and it grows from there. But yeah. trying to start too big, we know this intellectually, we talk about it all yeah. the time, but it's kind of hard to remember, yeah. remind ourselves of that yeah. this time of year. It's a great reminder. Okay, should we go to break? Let's do it. All right, we'll be back. 
We are welcoming back Stitch Fix as a sponsor today, and I am actually wearing the jeans I got in my Stitch Fix box back in the fall. They are my favorite. What? I am also wearing something from Stitch Fix, this awesome cardigan that I just love. It is so me. I had heard about Stitch Fix for years, but I hadn't tried it until recently, and I was really impressed. So when you sign up, you take a style quiz, and then a professional stylist chooses just the right pieces for you. They'll send you a box with hand-picked clothes, shoes, and accessories delivered to your door, and then you can decide what you'd like to keep and what you want to send back. Well, I don't really know about that part because I literally kept everything from my first box. I didn't send any of it back, but they do make that part really easy. And there is a $20 styling fee, but that automatically gets applied toward any pieces you decide to keep, which again, let's be honest, there's almost always at least one thing to keep. Yeah, I totally agree. And the online quiz and setting your preferences is really fun. You can ask your stylist to send you specific things like accessories, shoes, and boots. And after you get your fix, they ask for detailed feedback on what you liked and didn't like. Then that way they can fine-tune future shipments and really tailor them to your style and needs. With Stitch Fix, everyone can look their best. They have solutions for women, men, and kids all over the U.S. and now also in the U.K. If you've been waiting to try Stitch Fix, here's your chance because we've got a great deal for you. Just go to stitchfix.com slash themomhour and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box like I did. That's stitchfix.com slash themomhour for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about a new online class we're offering over at our sister company, Life Listened. It's all about how to make real money as an indie podcaster. If you've ever wondered how we turned podcasting into a full-time career here at the Mom Hour, this course is going to tell you everything you need to know. It covers things like how to start working with sponsors, what to charge, how to understand your stats, how to make a media kit, and so much more. Yes, we're really excited to offer this course because we have people emailing us all the time asking if it's really possible to generate income from a podcast. And we are here to say, yes, it is. The class starts February 4th, and you can find out everything you need to know at lifelistened.com slash monetize. And because all of you are the reason we are able to do a podcast as a career, we want to give you a special deal. So there's an early bird special that will save you $100 off the course until December 15th. But if you're hearing this too late to get that offer, that's okay. Just click the special link you're going to find in the show notes for this episode, and we'll honor that early bird rate until January 15th. So again, you're going to find out everything you need to know about this course at lifelistened.com slash monetize, but you're going to click the link in the show notes if you want to sign up and want that extra $100 off your registration until January 15th. We'd love to see you in the class. Okay, so that was really fun talking about the science and kind of nerding out over habits. Um, But Sarah, let's get a little more personal now. And we both have long histories of being human and yeah. <laughs> creating and all the habit forming that goes with that for better or for worse. So let's talk about our own habits, like how we tend to approach thinking about them, forming them, maybe name one good habit or for you to put it the way you have yeah. um, in the first half is a habit that serves you uh-huh. and a habit that doesn't serve you. Were those consciously created or did you just kind of fall into them? Like give us a little yeah. snapshot. I would say as a general rule, I do a little bit of both. Every once in a while, I'll make a very conscious, you know, switch, um, especially if I see like, okay, this is easy and doable. Um, like we were just talking about before the break, like the the least amount of uh, difficulty. Um, and then other times it just kind of happens. So the one that I thought of was back in the spring, you and I both discovered noon hydration mm-hmm. tablets, not a sponsor of this episode, but a sponsor of our life in general. Yes, exactly. Um, they're little tablets. You drop them in some water, they fizz up and they basically turn your water into like a healthier Gatorade is kind of how I think of it, like a hydration mm-hmm. um, and they taste good. And so once I had discovered that I liked those, I 
always wanted to drink a glass of water first thing in the morning. I'd heard that was good. I had tried drinking lemon water and like just wasn't really sold on that. Felt like a lot of work. Like I didn't like having my hands so sticky the first thing before even I had coffee. Mm -hmm. So I started just, um, I always look forward to my first cup of coffee, but I started just leaving the noon tablets out on the kitchen counter and I'd come downstairs and I would drop one in a glass of water. And I just decided that I wasn't going to have my coffee until I had that first glass of water. And sometimes I would drink it relatively quickly. Other times I'd sit and read my book and it would be 30 or 40 minutes before I'd pour my coffee. It wasn't the delaying the coffee, but it was just adding in. Again, I guess that's kind of like a stacking or pairing strategy too. Um, But that worked really well. Now, what I noticed about it is just over the holidays, I ran out of noon and I had, I'd reordered it a few times. So I'd run out and gotten more, but I really ran out like I didn't have any. Um, And I stopped drinking water first thing in the morning. And it's not like, I mean, water's fine. I don't hate water, but it was something about that ritual. Special. It tasted a little bit Mm -hmm. better. And like, it was just this thing I had to do. I I did. It was like this, like, well, I can't have my coffee till I've had my noon water. And it's so it's it's hard to figure out what the difference is with that little tablet or without the little tablet. But it was enough that when I didn't have them, I haven't been drinking that glass of water in the morning before my okay coffee. so i have thoughts um okay. first yeah, of all please. i think it's really funny because i do the same thing and i we have not talked about this in <laughs> no months i mean we've talked jokingly about noon but we have not talked about the fact that we both drink a glass of water with noon first thing in the morning okay. so i keep a full glass in fact sometimes if i get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and i've already drunk some of the glass of water that's next to my bed i will refill it because i know in the morning i am going to the first thing plop a noon tablet like that's uh-huh. the first thing i do when i turn my alarm off and then I'll usually get up and go to the bathroom again. And by the time I get back, it's all fizzed up. Yes. And the reason I think it works is because I associate mornings with a pleasant tasting drink. Yeah. That's why I'm not going to drink water. Water yeah. sounds super boring. Like <laughs> I will if, I, if I'm super thirsty, but I'm yeah. not just going to get up and think, wow, you know what sounds great right now is water. Is water. Um, and it's got just a, it's not a sugary drink, but it's got a little tiny bit of like whatever. It's got like 15 calories. Uh-huh. It, may, it feels like something a little substantial and it almost feels like it's going to help propel me out of bed and get me going. So there's something about the fact that I already associated morning with something that tasted delicious that I like a, that I could look forward to that made it easier to push the glass of the cup of tea back yeah. and and do the noon instead. And I keep the tablets next to my bed and the full glass of water. It's like ready to go. I don't even have to think about it. Right. Okay. Well, now I have thoughts because I'm thinking I, it's less about the good taste for me, but I do think I associate noon with um, feeling good and clear headed. Yeah. Remember when we both uh, started, like we tried it, we were like, we had been traveling, maybe had an extra glass of wine. And I, I was like, weren't we this someplace, is amazing. Weren't we were we with, someplace like super dry too? It was like a really Austin, dry hotel. Yeah. Austin. Yes. So, yeah. When you have yeah. that travel and all the moisture has been sucked out of you and then you have an extra glass of wine and it's like, I wake up, I feel like I had two bottles of wine and I didn't yeah. for the record. Um, and it just felt like this magic pill. And I wonder if there's some now waking up in my own house when I haven't been traveling, I don't feel that bad, but I do wonder if there's that that first association with like this magic thing will make me feel better. Interesting. That's so funny. And I will say that noon is the only thing I have right now on whatever it's called on Amazon, the automatic. Yeah, yeah. Like subscribe uh, and save. Subscribe and save. It's literally the only thing I get because I just thought it's the kind of thing I will so easily run out of because I have several um, tubes going at once all over the house that I always keep track of how much is in each one. So I was like, I'm just going to. 
you well, that. you all <laughs> listeners, you heard it here. If you hear noon as a sponsor of this podcast in like six months, you know, we'll be nearly as excited as we were when <laughs> LaCroix came around like five years after we started exactly. talking about them. Um, okay. Well, you, you asked about maybe a negative habit and slipping into one. Um, so I'll just mention one real quickly. Um, is we are kind of in the habit of watching TV when we go upstairs to bed. So I, we always watch a show downstairs after the kids are in bed. That's very like intentional. I really like that TV watching. We watch together. And then sometimes I get drowsy. And as soon as I do, we say, well, let's just stop and we'll just go upstairs and go to bed. So then I wash my face, get back in bed. And then I decide I want to watch another TV show. And we'll usually mm. put on like a comp like Schitt's Creek or The Daily Show or something kind of light and funny that I don't care if I see the whole thing. Now, this isn't like this isn't the worst habit in the world, but it's not exactly how I want to fall asleep. Um, And what I notice is like, I feel like my my brain is telling me I'm not done watching TV. And that's just not true. Like I can be done watching TV. It's (laughs) because I have to walk upstairs, wash my face, like get ready for bed. And it wakes me up just enough to be like, Mm -hmm. oh, we could watch something else. So that's not a habit I feel super great about. I'd actually rather just watch more TV downstairs work harder on not falling asleep and like enjoy it rather than like stumble upstairs and start over. It doesn't feel very good. So one of the things um, I'm doing that I'm going to try to tie it to my reading habits is having a book upstairs already on my nightstand um, for nighttime reading because I, I do most of my reading downstairs in the morning. And so I have an issue where I don't always know my book is either down when I'm up or up when I'm down. So although I don't usually read two books at once, I am I am playing around with having a lighter book that I read at night that's always by my bed. And that way mm. um, I can maybe do that instead of watch TV. So, Well, this is all very relevant to me because <laughs> A, um, I, I know very well, it's, I always call it my second, third and fourth TV wind. Yeah. And so like I've been guilty of staying up super late watching TV. I don't do it anymore very often. But one of the reasons, honestly, is because I haven't had a TV in my room in a really long time. Yeah. And I'm getting ready to move into a much larger house with my bedroom is absolutely enormous. Um, ridiculously big. And I kind of want to have a TV in my bedroom because it's truly a master bedroom. It's yeah. got its own bathroom. And like, I just love the idea of having it be like a little retreat that I can hang out in and yeah. have some privacy. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to get in the habit of laying there watching Golden Girls yeah. until the sun comes up, which I have been in that habit. So I thought about it for me, probably not having any broadcast TV will almost solve it. Uh-huh. Um, the require, like the I don't know, the effort or thought it requires to flip around in like a Netflix or something and choose a show means I'm pretty sparing about it. And I'm, I get bored. Like even when I'm watching on the couch, like I'll watch an episode or two and I'm getting bored and wandering away. So I'm not too worried, but I'm a little bit worried. Well, Um, just like about how to be intentional. Yeah. And how to make it just difficult enough. That's something James Clear talks about is making something really easy if you want to do it regularly or making something just difficult enough. You know, that would be like taking an app off your phone or moving yeah. the popcorn bowl across the room. It's so funny that you say that. I, I'm so spoiled because Brian is like, he's just so easygoing and he handles all the remotes. So I don't even have that as a barrier because I'll be like, oh my gosh, um, maybe we should like watch a funny and he'll, he'll be like, he'll just pick sure. one. He'll and just, like- yeah, he just like puts it on for me. It's he's just like terrible. your TV like, Sherpa. I need to tell him to just say no, read your book like and he, go to bed. He lady. needs to become like your like your restraint for you. Yeah. That is so funny. Well, the and the having the upstairs book and the downstairs book again for the first time in a long time. My bedroom is going to be, I mean, like a long, I don't even remember the last time my bedroom was on a separate floor than the main floor. Okay. Like my bedroom has been on the first floor for the last four houses I lived in. So this is like a, something I'm going to have to retrain my brain how to deal with having most of my stuff up yeah. in my bedroom when I'm still spending most of my day downstairs. Like 
how to kind of have those two different spaces that I use the way I want them to be used. Yeah, because you, you, your bedroom is like command central. And that's not yes. really how I operate at all, yeah. except for laundry. My bedroom is laundry command central because we have upstairs laundry. But Right. I mean, like I'm going to want to be spending time downstairs in my nice big kitchen, you know, during the day. That's where I think I'm going to be drawn to. Yeah. But but my work is going to continue to be up in my bedroom and like I'm going to want to have reading material up in my bedroom. So I'm just going to have to think about and that's kind of the exciting thing about setting up a new environment because I get to set it up the way like I love the idea of going into this thinking, what is the way I can set this new home up to support what I want to do? Right. Right. Whatever those things are. Yeah. Um, so Sarah, I totally just like trampled over both years, but it's kind of funny. They both had a lot of relevance to my life. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to be relevant to you. So how about <laughs> how about you and some of your personal habits? Okay, so one that I think is really funny is that I started flossing twice a day and I have no idea twice how it happened. Twice a day. I don't even know how it happened, Sarah. This is like this is so, like above and beyond. Right. But like remember how I was it like a year ago that you had you yeah. made like a resolution I of did. you were to floss? Yeah, it was like two or three years ago. But yes. Okay. So that's been in the back of my head and I I have floss and I would floss every now and then. And I think I really, honest to God, don't exactly know what happened except one day I think I flossed and was really grossed out by how much food I got out of my teeth. Like it was just was one of those where I was like, wow, I feel like are the gaps in my teeth getting bigger and there's more like maybe it was just a gross day that I ate a bunch of bread. I don't know. But it was just like something about it was super satisfying. Like having it be done was like, ooh, like that, that felt really good. So then that night I was like, I think I'll do that again. See if I can get more out. And I have flossed twice a day ever since. And it's probably been six months at least. So what I think is crazy about this is that I accidentally created a habit. I don't even remember how or why really. I'm sure you talking about flossing was somewhere in my head. And the fact that you're supposed to has been in my head for 40 years, like whatever. But it just kind of happened. I just think that that's really funny. Um, I think that first of all, it's so good for you. It really is like. It's just, it is one of the best things you can do for yourself. So I'm really proud of you. My issue with flossing, and I'm an inconsistently good flosser, but I'm pretty good right now, um, is, and I need, I need it anchored to a time of day. I'm so inconsistent Mm. about when I, I'm I'm even inconsistent about when I brush my teeth, like, um, you know, like after which meal or how late in the morning or like, anyway. So um, that's been one that I need it tied to like after this, then I floss or whatever. But yeah, I think for, for me, I was getting frustrated because brushing my teeth wasn't getting them as yeah clean. So it's like every time I brush, I floss because I, I want to do a better job, if that makes sense. One tip is to floss in the shower. My dad is always oh. telling me to do that. So if people have, you can put a little, t- if you like having a mirror, you can put a little like um, suction cup mirror on your shower and then have it, have it tied to that. So that I, for some reason, I don't like that approach, but it is, you do shower every day or nearly every day. And then it's an easy thing to do when you're in there. So, yeah. Um, another one that I kind of developed and this one, I think is interesting because for a while I was super religiously walking my dog every single day, at least a mile, often three to four miles. Um, but that really reminded me when we were talking about kind of like your environment dictating habits often um the fragility of some habits that are dependent on like the weather yeah or the kids works or school schedules like things like that because i noticed the minute there's the school schedules changed it kind of derailed and i had to get back on board and then the the minute the weather started to get bad it kind of derailed and i had to get back on board it's like i feel like i'm constantly having to adjust something that for about a six-month stretch was just completely habitual i didn't even think about it 
Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know really what the solution is, except to just do it, even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Or, uh, or yeah. to um, the other thing, you could just do it, even if it's uncomfortable. Or you just get it good at noticing when those shifts are happening and getting ahead of your lizard brain again and be like, right. OK, well, what what else can I pair this with or how can I do a different thing that is equally valuable it, rather than just, you know, wake up three months later and realize you haven't walked the dog or whatever. I find I yeah. drink less water when it's cold here. And this yeah. is I'm on a mission this winter to not be cold. I've talked about how my house is so cold um, because and that's another thing, because when I'm when I feel warm, a glass of water sounds refreshing. And when I feel chilly, it doesn't. So then I'm like, well, I should make herbal tea. And then I right. don't. It's just, don't. But like you yeah. said, a weather change can offset something that's otherwise you're in a groove with. And, and otherwise, you could also just go back to that minimum, that minimum viable yeah. uh, version, which yeah. is maybe I'm just going to walk the dog around the block. Right. It's not going to be the same as that three mile walk that I enjoyed on a balmy summer day. But that's OK, because what it is, it's, it's the habit. Right. Um, a bad habit. And I'll just talk about this one really quick because I don't exactly know what to do about this one. But I've had this really bad habit lately of falling, of waking up in the middle of the night and then not falling back to sleep. And the reason I'm going to call it a habit is because I know there's something I'm doing mentally that's making it stick. Yeah. Like, it's almost becoming more habitual now not to fall right back to sleep than it used to be to fall right back to sleep. And it used to be just so easy for me to fall back to sleep. There's something I'm doing. Yeah. And I think it's um, I think I'm going to have to like force myself to get up and go do something else. Like something is going to have to shift yeah. because it's becoming so easy now to just lay there. Yeah, that's ter- that's <laughs> like horrible. mindless. Yeah. It is horrible and I hate it. But at the same time, it feels easier to lay there and stress than it does to turn my lights on yeah. and get out of bed or whatever. And I think it's going to take some kind of upset of my current. Yeah. Um, routine, which maybe moving will help. Yeah. Like maybe that'll be the thing that I need to kind of get me out of this. This is the bedroom I lay awake in yes. feeling. Yes. You know, I wonder how much of it is like these four walls are the four walls that sit there and watch me stay oh, awake. Oh, yes. You know, so um, yeah. I have heard. So keeping talking about the upstairs book, downstairs book, a like a, a easy to read um, either on your Kindle or hard copy. My mom yeah. swears by it because she has a lot of insomnia in the middle of the night. Um, and then like, not, you're not, you're not beating yourself up for not going back to sleep. You're like, well, I guess I'm going to read my romance novel now yeah. or whatever. Um, and, and she, at least my mom says it does put her back to sleep. So and I have one. noticed that if I keep my Kindle, like at the lowest yeah. darkness setting, my thing is I'll actually think, well, that's going to keep me, that's going to wake me up more. And so right. it's like, I had this war with myself and I just need to get over it. Yeah. And I you think. would need to have a book that is, is pleasant and sleepy and not going to get your like juices flowing. Um, right. And then gravity blanket is the other thing I always Ooh. bring up because gravity I think blanket. I don't use mine every night. It makes me very hot and actually mine's too heavy for my body weight, I think. Um, but it does do that thing where if your body's starting to wake up, like when you're kind of coming in and out of sleep, mm. um, I think it just kind of like tricks your sensory, like your, you know, your sensory system into yeah. not like jolting into full, like the, the babies, the moral reflex, like falling yes. out of a tree. Like, yes, yes, um, yeah, totally. So I don't know. That's not like a super cheap option, but I always I always throw it out there. Well, maybe we can wait, like um, pop back in and talk about this in a couple months and see how it's yeah, going. Yeah, see how you're doing. Um, I know we need to wrap up, but I, I am curious if you have any new habits you are hoping to form um, in 2020. Well, I think the one that I noted, um, so we've mentioned it a couple of times, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, I am partway through 40 days to 40. And my challenge that I decided to give myself was walking 40 minutes a day every day for those 40 days. And it wasn't an exercise, a fitness goal. It was more about um, 
getting outside, the 40 minutes is a little longer than I would usually go. And then the cool part is I kind of like threw it out there on social for like anyone local to join me. And it's been really fun. Like I really have had people be like, I want to go for a walk with you or a hike. And I obviously live in a beautiful place where there's lots of people are like flying out to visit. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I'll be right there. (laughs) Um, So that is not probably that's not a sustainable habit, but I will mention it because it falls into this like something I'm doing every day without like without exception. I mean, I've even thought about the rain because we do get rainy winters and I could walk for 40 minutes with an umbrella if I had to or, you know, figure something out. Um, So that's kind of fun. And I am documenting it, documenting it a little bit on Instagram. So I'll link that up if you are curious. Um, But then the only other one I was going to mention was this upstairs, downstairs and wanting to get back into a regular reading habit in general. And the upstairs book, downstairs book has been a little bit of a shift that both tackles the mindless TV watching and also um, really hopefully more reading. So the two books I'm reading right now are very different from each other. So I've never enjoyed reading two books at once, but I don't think it'll bother me because they're so different from each other. And when I read them is so different. So it's really like doubling my reading time, I'm hoping. I'm going to steal that. I love that idea. Yeah. Um, so one of mine that I really want to form a habit it is actually yoga as a daily habit. And I think the way I'm going to have to do that is to not look at the yoga I do at the studio yeah. as the habit. That is like the add-on. Yeah. Um, I did think it was interesting. One of the things I was reading in um, in the Good Habits, Bad Habits book is they were talking about the more habitual something becomes, the more you're kind of attuned to it in your environment. So like, if I got up every day and did five sun salutations in my bedroom and that's all I got, all I did that day, yeah. the habit has, the habit stuck, right? But the fact that I'm already tuned into like, ha- like yoga being on like a thing I do means I'm also probably more likely to do the other things that go along with yoga, like go to a class. Yeah. It's when it completely gets removed yeah. or the only way I think I can do it is to go to a class, which one day might be at eight in the morning, one day yeah. might be at noon. Like, it's all over the place. It never really becomes truly part of my daily routine the way that I need it to be for it to be a daily thing. Yeah. So that's something, um, again, just going to that minimum viable version yeah. that we've been talking about with what, what's the least amount of this I could do every day to make it a habit and then build on from there. So I guess that leads me to the question, Sarah, for you is, is there anything that you've learned either in the reading or just thinking about this that's helping you like go easier on yourself or set yourself up better for habit success? Yeah, this was a good question. I'm glad you asked this. Um, Not so much from the book I've been reading, but um, last year we worked with our business coach, Zach, who works with both of us individually and on our business. Um, And (laughs) Zach will tell you that there's so often I do the individual coaching with him and I would be like, Zach, I could have, I know all this stuff. Like I could have told myself this. And he's like, yeah, but that's why you get a coach. Like, because you're not doing it. Like, you know it, but you're not doing it. So that's why I'm here. To hold you accountable. And usually what it came down to is I'm so detailed and orderly in my thinking, which is such a wonderful gift. You know, it, it serves me in a lot of ways. It can trick me into thinking I don't need to take the next step, which would be in a lot of cases, that means putting it on my calendar or committing to a specific time, or maybe it might mean putting a system in place. We talked about systems and my brain is systems oriented, but you know, in our business, I still sometimes resist like, like, oh, I could just do it the way I always have done, you know? Right. So I think what I'm learning about myself is that I am not, I am not above or exempt or immune from some of these simple steps that really help put a habit in place. And I think I, I tell myself the story sometimes because I am schedule oriented and calendar oriented and detail oriented that 
I'm trucking along habitually pretty good. Um, and, and every time I read a book like this or kind of have one of these calls with Zach, I realize like, oh, these things, I, I'm, not all, I'm not already doing it all. Maybe that's the Enneagram one in me is I feel like I'm already doing the best that I can. So leave me alone or something. I don't know. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that actually, you know, I'm not someone who gets stuck the way you described it in motion as much, uh-huh. but I do. I love projects. I love big, grandiose things. I love thinking about what what my life will look like when I do this one amazing thing, right? And right. I'm, I'm I've, I've often said I'm much more of a sprinter than an endurance runner, so I resist little things. Uh-huh. I resist little boring, the little boring crap of life. Um, but you know, whether I know it or not, whether I'm thinking about it or not, life really is made up of the little boring crap, like the yeah. little moments that you're either doing or not doing the thing, is what life is. And I might as well accept that and take control of that yeah. to whatever extent I can. I mean, <clears throat> I'm always going to be project oriented. It, I still find it really um, inspiring to throw myself into something with a deadline or like a very specific outcome or whatever. But I can't just hop from one to the next to the next to the next without thinking about the little stuff because the little stuff is happening. Anyway. Right. Well, and, and I think a habits enthusiast would probably say that the more you can automate the little stuff and like get your systems in place, actually, the more freedom you'll have for the big creative projects and the better kind of foundation you'll have to execute on those. So you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too, really. Oh, I, I like that. Is, is what they'd say. <laughs> That's what James Clear would say. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I was going to ask before we wrap, if you have noticed anything about habits playing out with your kid, older kids and teens. I know this is a more than mom, but I always think it's interesting to see if we notice anything about what we're talking about as it relates to kids. And if you need to think, I, I have a couple of thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. I do have some thoughts, but um, you talking will probably inspire more. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes I'm guilty of wanting my kids to have the same desires around things like personal care and keeping a clean house. And like, I, I fall into that trap where I'm like, why can't you just pick up your stuff? Like, it's not right. that hard. And what I realize I'm doing is I'm sort of imposing my value systems and my maturity onto them, which really they have no desire. Like, and I can remember right. being a kid and literally like having no, no, it, it didn't matter to me at all picking up after myself or this right. or that or, or taking, you know, brushing my hair or so while, you know, I could judge my kids for that or I could just say, okay, well, that's not a priority for them. So that's not a habit that they are. It's not ever going to become a habit for them right now because it's not a priority for them. But what I have kind of tried to shift, and I'll use flossing as an example. So um, my kids do need to like be flossing at some level because all of them get a lot of buildup when we go to the dentist and they always make me feel really guilty. And I always felt guilty about it. And of course, the kids were not going to remember to floss. So finally, we got the little handheld flossers, which are really easy for them to do. Um, and we made it just it just became an automatic part of getting ready for bed. And what I realized was we were out of the habit of expecting them to floss. Like it wasn't mm. them who needed the flossing habit. It was me who needed the habit of making it a non-negotiable. Not like it was a big fight or anything, but I needed to see it as a regular habitual part of the evening routine as opposed to expecting them to. So that was that was one thing. And then the other thing I think with kids and habits is I think we can we really can help them with some good habits but it's not maybe around the things we think. So things like whining or talking back or the way that they speak to you. I think those can be habits that we either reinforce in a good way or in a not so good way 
with our kids. And I think all the same rules apply. It's like, yeah, it's regular practice. So if you don't like when your kids don't say thank you, for example, and that may not be a hill you want to die on, but if it is, it has to be expected every single time and it has to become automatic. And I have seen certain things become automatic with my kids, clearing their plate after a meal or, you know, doing, doing something, you know, saying thank you or saying please. So it, they are capable. It's just maybe not always in the areas we think we want them to be. Well, this is, I love this because it totally ties in with the thing that we've, the drum I've been beating for 20 years now or however long, probably only 15, took me that long to figure <laughs> it out, is the active management thing yes. as a mom. Like yes. we can't get away from it. It exists. It is a thing because your kids are not, not only are they not motivated by the same things we're motivated by, but they're, it takes a really long time for them developmentally to see consequences yes. to those small actions. Not only do they not care, <laughs> they don't even make the connection. Partly because as their parents, we protect them from consequences. And we should. I mean, you know, like, for example, um, four on the floor. We talked about this, you know, on the show before. I will beat that drum to my kids. Four on the floor. That means, which I just found out recently is a drumming term. I I did not know that. Yes, it's (laughs) something about drumming. I don't know exactly what it is. It might just be the beat. I don't know, but it's four on the floor. Oh, that Um, makes sense. Because the pedal, right? Like you're setting the beat. Like, yeah. Yes. Got it. Um, But I use it to tell my kids to quit rocking in their chairs. Yes. Because it drives me crazy. And I know that at some point they could, you know, flip over and bust their heads open. Well, I'm not going to not tell my kids four on the floor because I hope they flip (laughs) their chair over and bust their heads open so they learn via natural consequences not to rock their chairs, right? I'm just going to keep saying it. And I know they're not going to do it when they're out of my eyesight. Like, I just know that because they truly, there's not only do they just not care, but there's no real world connection between the thing I'm telling them to do and the reason why to do it. And, And you could take that and extrapolate it to all kinds of things. Like they don't know that their hair will be gross if they don't wash it. Yeah. And that other people will care until they're old enough to realize other people care if their hair is gross when they don't wash it. It just, you can't get ahead of it. Like it just happens when it happens, um, if it happens. Right. So I just think you're totally right about that. And I do think there are certain things where if I just want them in my presence to do, or it's really important to me that they do certain things, I can't abdicate it to them. Yeah. And so they're ready for it. Yeah. And you have to kind of let go of the judgment around that or the, or the self judgment or the judgment of your kids. And it comes back to the, is this a hill you want to die on? If it is, you may be doing a lot of active management. But if you're also modeling good habits, you know, like it it, it will eventually happen. It's just not, they're not like, it's not a Pavlovian training system where it's just going to like. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was kind of fun. I just was curious if we had anything um, like to add on the parenting front, even though this is a a more No, it's like, Kids and habits, you'll have to make them do it for them. <laughs> right. Until a certain extent. That we can just sum it up like that, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been really fun. I really enjoyed um, digging in a little more nerdily than we sometimes Me do too. on this stuff. I knew you would, Sarah. Um, so everyone, we hope you've enjoyed this episode too. And as a reminder, we would love for you to check out our podcast club at themomhour.com slash club. Again, this is our new offering. It's like a book club, but instead of reading the same book, you would listen to the same podcast um, with your friends and get together in real life. And it's just a great opportunity to maybe shake up your routine a little bit, create a new habit around uh, getting together with people in real life, which I know can be sometimes kind of tough, and maybe beef up your podcast listening. So again, go to themomhour.com slash club and check that out. And we'll be back with you on Tuesday with another brand new episode. Talk to you then. 